Well, it's a delight to be back with you um, this year. Quite a bit has happened in, in the last year. Um, how many of you have faced some significant problems in the last year? Huh, how about that? How about how many of you have had the privilege of having some tremendous life pressures put on you? Interesting. And have any of you had the privilege of God sending difficult people to your lives? Hmm. So the uncommon event is not so uncommon, is it? So the question is, how did you respond to it? That's the question. Okay. I, uh, what I want to share with you this evening uh, is a story that demonstrates a principle. And it is a principle of developing a life, a worldview, that matures our character and conquers our world for Christ. It is God's pleasure to train His people through people, pressures, and problems. And so the question for us is, how do we respond to that? And so what I want to do, and, and I have five sessions. Uh, Daniel told me that he wanted to exhaust everything I knew. And so he said, five sessions ought to more than run you out of gas. So there we go. Okay. <clears throat> What I want to do, uh, brothers, is I want to lay before you five particular lifestyle principles that are going to challenge you to maturity, to victory in Christ. How that responsibility in how we view the world and how we interact with the world is a measure of our maturity in Jesus Christ. And it's never more evident to any of us than when we face people, pressures, and problems. You might have noticed nobody here was exempt from that, were they? Quite an interesting thing. So when we start out with this, all of us, every one of us, view the world through some lens. All of us do. So as believers, the question is, how do we view the world we live in? And what is the proper lens for us to be able to see things in their reality? How do we do that? I have been a Christian for 45 years now. And the principle that I want to share with you this evening is the one failure in the lives of Christians that I have seen more often than anything else bring defeat to their lives. Over and over and over again, I've seen it. Now, how many of you guys here are getting married shortly? You done figured out one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Tomorrow morning, I want to share with you, fellas, all of you, you will need this, but I want to share with you, particularly you young men, uh, what I believe the Scripture demonstrates as the most fundamental character quality you can take to your marriage. If you conquer that, you'll conquer the rest of it. If you don't, you are in trouble. 
So there's a story. I want to ask a few questions here and get, get some responses. Number one, in Psalm 47, the scripture says to us, God reigns over the heathen. So here's my question. Is that true? Is it true that God today is reigning over the communist Chinese government? Is it true that God is governing the Muslim world? Is it true that all this political shenanigans going on up in D.C. is under the government of God? Okay. If we believe that, will that impact how we see the events going on? The scripture tells us also, the earth is the Lord's and all that therein is, and those that inhabit it. Is that true? I mean, when I go into a neighborhood where <clears throat> there's poverty and drugs and prostitution and, 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 and hopelessness, does that belong to Christ? It's a good question, isn't it? It's one thing when we theoretically know something. Uh, the first time I ever built a business in uh, what's typically called a minority community, I said, Lord, I don't know anybody here. But the first person that speaks to me, that's the person I want to build my first business with. So I go in, and the guy speaks to me. I don't know him from Adam's house cap. And, and the guy says to me, what are you doing here? I said, I come to talk to you. He said, you don't know me. I said, that's true. But I know that you are the chosen person I am to talk to because I prayed before I came in, and I said, Lord, the first person that speaks to me, let that be the guy. And I want to start a business with you. And we did. He thought I was kidding. Well, the Lord led him to him. He, he, um, he also described me in some colorful terms as we got to know one another. But how we view that man, even as an unbeliever, is it true when the Scripture says, the wrath of man shall praise him and the remainder he shall restrain? Is that accurate? If we believe these things, it's important that they come out in the realities of our lives. Some of you are going to run businesses. Those of you getting married. When you get down the road about five, six, seven years, and the honeymoon phase has worn off, and you realize that your sweetie married a sinner, more than theoretically, yeah, she got a real live one, and so did you. Will your worldview change from the theoretical? It's a good question. So in this in the story, when we see people, pressures, and problems, there is not one of you who is going to be exempt from that.
And you're also not going to be exempt about having to make a choice about how you're going to view it. That's going to be based on your presuppositions. How you believe the world was put together. So I want to take you into the story, and I want to tell you why this story is important, because what I have observed over my years of being involved in uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Most of you guys that were here, you know that. I've started a lot of businesses. I run a number of businesses. We do a lot of investing. Uh, our mission's uh, work is built on a, a total concept of building Christian civilizations, not to create dependency, but to create productivity in the lives of redeemed people. They, we are to go forward and we are to take dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, the things that crawl upon the earth. All of this belongs to Christ. And we're here to carry forth the banner of Jesus Christ across this globe. And so <clears throat> with that, in the lives of Christians, what I have observed over the years is that they have swapped primary cause of history for secondary causes. Here's how you know. Here's how it comes out. They will say things like, you made me angry. You frustrated me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Why did this happen to me? And I want to share with you a story because that's a natural reaction for human beings. It is a natural reaction. But we're believers. And that natural reaction is a sign. When I was a child, I did what? I thought as a child. I spake as a child. I reasoned as a child. My emotions were like a child. Now, y'all probably never had this problem growing up. But I had nine brothers and one sister. And there were on occasions when I needed to straighten them out. And so uh, we had some issues, and it was always about something about, guess who? Me. I have grandchildren. All the squabbles in the household, you know what it concerns? It affected me. Right? And in our immaturity, that will be our default worldview. We will put ourselves in the center of it. And we will ensure our defeat through that process. So I want to tell you a story about a guy and his family. I want to demonstrate the principle of how this is to be done. Some of you, you're going to know this story very well. But I want to point it out in the practicalities of life. Because some of you are going to become and remain friends. And if you don't learn how to encourage your brothers in the Lord at a level of maturity that doesn't cave to secondary causes, you will be no friend. You will help them ensure defeat into their lives. And I'll demonstrate what that produces. So there was this uh, fellow by the name of Jacob. And Jacob... Uh, delightful character, what a mess. Okay? So you go to Jacob's family, 
And uh, you could go further back, but we'll just start with the fact that between Jacob's mother and dad, there was some problems with the youngsters, wasn't it? His dad loved Esau. Mama loved Jacob. And that division was obvious in the household, wasn't it? Now it goes further, this division did not create a nurturing spirit within the home. And so one day Esau's out and he's hunting and he comes and he's hungry and his brother has on some stew, right? And, and Esau says, uh, let me get a bowl of that stew. And, and his brother sees a weakness and so what does he decide to do? Let's exploit the opportunity. And so he makes a bargain with his brother and he gets the birthright. Right? And, and Esau despised, the scripture said he despised his birthright. He got caught in this moment of weakness. Now, keep in mind the particulars of the story because it's important. And so uh, Jacob and his mother decides that Esau might be a little ticked. So in order to preserve life, he absconds to right, another place. And he goes over there and he's deceived his brother of sorts. Right? And, and, and his dad, he, he, he and mama deceived dad. What a wonderful way to have a household, isn't it? The children and the parents deceiving the other parents. I mean, who wouldn't want that? <clears throat> so he goes, he leaves, and he goes and he meets some kinfolk. And I get nervous when I read this part of the story because I can identify. Okay, so he goes there and, and he goes to work for this uncle, and he winds up getting a bride, right? Just, he loved her. And he gets this bride, and he wakes up the next morning, and it ain't happening. He's got Leah. Right? And he loved Rachel. Now, this, the story goes, did Leah, was she fully aware that her husband didn't love her? Scripture records that she was. And she produced sons, and every time she would produce a son several times, it says, I produced a son. Now will my husband love me? Now would he live with me? And so uh, that didn't work out too good for him. And so he, he works, and he winds up uh, getting Rachel. And there's this division that goes on in the home. Can somebody say there was a historical issue here? Like, you know? All right. So th this, this division within the home continued. And so the, uh, the family has these issues uh, of this division, and, and, and Leah starts having children, and Rachel, she can't have children, so what she, does she do? She turns to a substitute, right? And Billah has children, and then... We have Zilpha, who is the handmaiden of Leah, and she has children. So we have three different women who have children by this one man, and Rachel doesn't have any children. And there's all kinds of animosity going on within this household. And so, finally, Rachel has a son. His name is Joseph. Now, in the meantime, in this family... Uh, the younger daughter, Dinah, goes out, right? And what happens? She gets raped. And the boys, uh, they take vengeance 
on, on these guys. And the dad gets a little upset. And uh, so they uh, move on out. And then Benjamin is born. And Rachel dies. Now when Joseph is born, was there anything significant that happened within that household? Yeah, there was. Because daddy loved Rachel, he showed favoritism to Joseph. And the boys picked up on it, didn't they? Okay. And so these boys picked up on this, this, this uh, favoritism that went on within the family. Now, I'm telling all this story for this reason. How many of you had parents? It's like having people, pressures, and problems. All of you had parents. So, so all of you here had parents. And some of you may have had parents that passed on. Some of you may have gone through, parents went through divorce. Some of you uh, may still have your parents with you. Uh, in my case, my parents have, have passed on. But in those parents, how many of you had or have problems with parents? That is incredible. Okay? So he had this, these parents, and, and there's this animosity going on. So I want to read to you. Let's get the, the concept here, because as we follow this through, the, the lesson is going to become very obvious. Joseph was 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bela and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And listen to how Joseph endured himself to his brothers. It was incredible. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report, the snitch in the family. Now, was he wrong to do this? He was not wrong to do this. What were all the other brothers willing to do? Cover up the evil. We're going to see how this plays out. And the scripture makes this statement. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And then daddy made this incredible event. And he made him a coat of many colors. What happened within the household? And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Got that? They hated him. They could not speak peaceably. So parents and siblings. Okay. Now, how many of you have siblings? Incredible. Okay. And then Joseph had a dream. 
He's a young man, so what do you figure the young guy does? He goes in front of the audience, right, that he knows best, and he lays it out, and he told it to his brethren. And their response was really great, and they hated him yet the more. His siblings hated him. His parents created divisions. And Joseph said to them, Here I pray you this dream which I've dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep rose up and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brothers loved him. No, it didn't say that. And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. What a great household. You imagine a family gathering with that? And then he had another dream. Right? And so what do you think he does? Yep, well, let's they need to know this stuff. And he told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him. Ever heard the scripture in Proverbs, who can stand before envy? But his father observed the say. So here's the, the household events. Now let me ask some questions here. How many of you guys, before you were born, who did you consult with to figure out who your parents were going to be? Really? Did, who did you talk to about what time in history you would be born? Or who your siblings would be? Or what geography you would be born in? Why are you born wherever you were born instead of somewhere else? We didn't make those decisions, do we? You know, this is the key to racism. Because if someone resents the color of my skin or where I was born, whose choice must they resent? God's. And if we can't honor God's choices, I don't figure anybody else has got a clue, right? There's no hope for others if we can't honor God's choices. So here's the situation as you look around at your brothers and sisters. There were things that God ordained in history for them because He ordained it in history for them. Can't change it. It's to be accepted. And so anyway, Joseph or, or his brothers go off and... Uh, this, that by then, uh, Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, and, and the brothers have the flock over in Shechem, and he said, I'm going to send them to you. So I come, and I want to send you over there. Now, you know what a delightful task that was, right? 
I am going to send you to these guys over there who hate you, who envy you and hate you even more and, and resent you and all that, and they're your siblings. But he said, uh, his dad sent him, and, and so he, sent, he went on out. And his brothers see him afar off, right? And what do they do? The scripture says they saw him afar off even before he came near unto them, and they conspired against him to slay him. What a family household. Now, I deal with these circumstances because I don't want you to forget the circumstances. Did he have some difficult people to deal with? What about pressures? Were there a few problems? Okay. Yeah. And so we know the story. Uh, Reuben was kind of soft-hearted and said, let's don't kill him. Uh, shed no blood and we'll cast him into this pit. And so Joseph gets up there and they strip Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors. They took him, they cast him into the pit. And then they sit down to eat and they look up and there's this whole group of Ishmaelites. So what do the good brothers do? They sell him into slavery. And so Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Remember the story. Remember the facts. And so they sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Now, over in Psalm, you read that he was taken to Egypt in fetters and irons by his own brothers. Okay. Now, before Dad sent him down there, now, the, all the brothers, you remember what they got down there, they got most of the family estate, right? And they're watching over the family estate down there. I mean, that's what the sheep and the cattle and... That was basically the family estate of that day. And so dad wanted to know the state of affairs with the, the family estate. Reasonable request. But he sends Joseph down there, and this is what happens to Joseph. Now the boys take his coat, <clears throat> kill an animal, dip it in blood, and they go back, and what do they do to dear old dad? They lie to dad, deceive him, and dad weeps because his son is dead. So Joseph, he sold to uh, Potiphar, and, and there's some other things that, that happened. And uh, we go to chapter 39, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, he bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites. Now, <clears throat> I want you to pay close attention to this guy. I think I spelled that right, but if I didn't, y'all got the idea. Uh, <clears throat> we don't have a lot of those in the county I live in. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So my question is, he was sent down here. He's 17 years old, right? And he's sent down here to serve a pagan.
But the story is, is that the Lord was with him and he was a prosperous man. So let me ask you a question. In my 62 years, and discount some of that as I've gotten older, we're going to see something here. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. And he, Potiphar, made Joseph overseer all over all his house and all that he had he put into his hands. So here's my question. In your time upon earth, how many people that have been filled with resentment or anger or bitterness have been able to serve like that? Not a one that I've ever met. In fact, the Scripture tells us to be careful of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up within you and thereby many be defiled, not blessed. Right? So here he is serving now as a 17-year-old, a pagan, and God is blessing him. And we know from the principles of Scripture that this young 17-year-old man had no resentment and no bitterness and no anger about what happened to him. But we're going to see he also wasn't naive. He's incredibly mature as a 17-year-old. So... He served this guy, and this guy had a, a wife. And the Potiphar left all in Joseph's hand, and he didn't even know what he had. Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And then the Potiphar's wife began to cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master... Well, he doesn't even know what's with me in the house, and he's committed all that he has to my hand. There is none greater in the house than I. And he hasn't kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. And then we get an insight into this guy's worldview. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's in a pagan household, and who does he raise as his standard? The Lord God. Well, we know that what happens, Joseph went into the house to do uh, his business there, and there were none of the other men in the house there, and she caught his garment and said, Lie with me, and he left the garment, and it came to pass when she saw that he had left the garment in hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. What was she accusing him of? Yeah, right. This is what he come to do. Now you could subjectively say this woman probably had an issue with her husband because she laid the blame at him, right? He brought him in and she just needed to out. And, and so she passed this information on about Joseph to Potiphar and Potiphar's wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound and he was there in prison. So my question is, 
Was this guy innocent? Okay, he's innocent. And he's in prison. For a crime he did not commit. So let me ask you some questions here before we go on with the story. Could this young man, Joseph, have been resentful of his parents? Some pretty drastic stuff went on there, wasn't it? Could he have been resentful or angry or bitter about what his brothers did to him? Could have, couldn't he? Potiphar's wife. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So let's see what happens to this guy. And so he was put into the, the prison, and the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, and the Lord made it to prosper. Here's my question. When the Lord speaks of being with people like that, in that way, and he blesses them and causes things to prosper, does this strike you as a person who is resentful, who is angry, who is bitter? And yet he's in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So could he have been resentful against Potiphar's wife? wonder how we would respond. Now I hope that while I'm going through these different scenarios, you have faced people, pressures, and problems in the last year, right? And I hope that in your mind you're contrasting how did I respond compared to how this young man <clears throat> responded. All right, so anyway, Joseph is now in prison. And Pharaoh gets upset against two of his, his officers, the chief of the butlers and the chief of the bakers, and he put them in ward in the house, in the captain of the guard, unto the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. So here Joseph is, he's serving again, he's making the best of a bad situation. And these two boys, uh, men, uh, the, the king, Pharaoh gets upset with them, puts them in prison. Okay? And so they dream a dream, and y'all know the, the story, right? One of them comes, and Joseph, uh, he was a good businessman. And I know that because when the baker tells him his story, about you know what's going to happen in three days. Joseph does not invest a lot of time in him because he thinks the ROI is not going to be very good, right? So with the other guy, the cupbearer, the butler, he tells the, him. He said uh, he gives them them the interpretation and says, "When you stand before Pharaoh, uh, I pray you." 
make mention of me to Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. Now this is a man who had reality. He understood exactly what happened to him. He was not deceived. He was not naive because this is what he said. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. He did understand it, didn't he? And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. He was not naive that injustice had been done to him. How will you and I react to injustice? Okay. So the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, and, and he said, uh, and he goes on, and Joseph answered and said, the interpretation three baskets, and you're going to stand before Pharaoh, and he does, and Pharaoh restores the chief butler, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But the ROI guy uh, got hanged, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted, right? So he, so he hung him. And yet, did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him? Now, here's the way this comes down in life. All right, you do me a favor and all that, and you're just the best friend, and I'm going to remember you forever, and it's just going to be so great, and, and it's never going to change, and man, we're just going to be buds. And the, the butler gets outside the prison door, and guess what happens? He's done with that cat. Okay. And so Pharaoh has a dream and he gets upset because somebody can tell him and all that. And uh, so the chief butler uh, goes to Pharaoh. None of them could tell him. And, and he said, uh, uh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Now you're going to get an idea of what this day looks like. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, and he put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, and we dreamed a dream. And there was there with us a young man, and he doesn't even remember his name. And he brewed. You know, my best bud that I'm going to be friends with for life because he got me out of this place. Servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and he gets all cleaned up, and you, you go through this, and, and we learn uh, the story that uh, God has showed, Joseph tells Pharaoh, God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, interestingly, uh, at this, uh, it is because the thing is established by God and God will bring it to pass. So Joseph tells this to them and we get this insight. How old was Joseph when he was sold into slavery? 17. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 13 years. How many complaints have you heard from Joseph during this time? He was a realist. And so this all gets laid out. And y'all know the story. Uh, they had seven years of plenty. So if he was 30 and then you had seven years of plenty, how old does that make him? 37. All right. And then there's a couple of years where the famine has started in and his 
dad hears up in Canaan that there's food down in Egypt, right? So he sends some guys down there. This is two years in, so he's now 39. And Joseph saw his brethren and knew them, but made himself strange unto them, spake roughly unto them. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they did not know him. And y'all know the story. He caused the money to be put back in their sacks. He kept Simon or Simeon as a ransom to ensure that Benjamin would come back, his brother. And so the brothers... Uh, go and they don't return because he said, don't come back unless you bring your brother, right? So there was these restrictions. They were nervous. But they eventually uh, do come back and bring him. And, um, and so what we have is the story here now where Joseph has commanded that they go back, he reveals himself to them. And in chapter 45, uh, he learns, you know, his dad's still alive. And he could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he had him go out, his, his other people, and all, just him and his brothers, and he wept aloud. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brothers could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. No kidding. Okay. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, <clears throat> again, he wasn't naive about it, was he? He wasn't naive that he was innocent in prison. He understood that. And he makes this statement. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Joseph just laid before us a great lesson. He goes further. He says, For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are five more. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. And listen to this remarkable worldview about all of these years that this young man understood. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout Egypt. And so he gives us an insight into his worldview. And he looked at his parents. He looked at his siblings. He looked at Potiphar and the prison, and the famine that was going on. And behind all of that, he saw the hand of God. And it was precisely, brothers, that worldview that prevented him from becoming a resentful, a bitter, or an angry man. 
Now, I want to ask you something about your own experiences. When you have focused on these things as the primary cause, did you have joy in Jesus? Or maybe this. Or someone did you wrong? Or you have been unjustly accused and you have these things that happen to you and then the pressures. So what happens to you and I when we change the primary cause of life, that is the sovereign hand of God, for secondary causes, that's when we open ourselves up to defeat. Now, as long as I see God as sovereignly ordering my life, how am I going to respond? It is only in that worldview that we can live the reality all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose because we will understand it. Injustice will work to our good. Pressures will work to our good. All the problem people that we meet in life will work to our good. So, in the face of, of this, this man's life, I want to go over to the final chapter of this. And here's my challenge to us. When you are married, you have children, you have a business, you're in school, you have friends. What's the reality when you sit down to pray about these things and how you deal with them? Do you look at those and you recognize the hand of God behind it all? For it was not God, for, for it was not you that created these issues, but God sent this to me. God chose my parents. God chose my siblings. How we respond to that, brethren, is going to determine the maturity of our character. And there will be no people who conquer the world for Christ who build their worldview on secondary causes. It will not happen. You cannot win that war. You will only lose 101 times out of 100. Now, probably none of you men have had to overcome difficulties of creating problems with your wife. I have. And the reason being is, is that I wanted to change her. I mean, she needed changing. If you wanted to know that, you should ask me. And that didn't work out any better for me than it did for anybody else that tried to do it because we don't have that ability. Rather than looking at my wife and seeing that God chose this woman for me, I wanted to change my wife. And uh, what we discovered, or at least I discovered, is that the problem was a matter of octaves in our household. 
because, see, she wasn't listening enough. I needed to raise the octave one, right? And, 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 and so uh, when then she decided what the problem was, she, she thought it needed two. And we realized the problem. We, we began to institute some changes. That God sent this woman, and after people have been married for a long time, I do a lot of counseling work, and they'll say something like this, I married the wrong person. No, you did not. Okay. If it came to pass, was it the will of God? That's how I know. Okay. So they bring Daddy down into Egypt. And daddy dies. And the brothers, this is pretty unique. Because you guys are going to run into this over and over and over again in your lifetime. And like Joseph, you need to be mature enough to look at injustice and identify it as injustice without it embittering your heart. It is injustice. It is wrong. And it will only defeat you if it comes to dominate the worldview by which you see your circumstances. That's it. So dad dies. And they buried him. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. wonder where they got that concept from. People have a tendency to perceive you in the light they see themselves. And he will certainly requite us all the evil which we've done unto him. Do you think these boys were a little concerned about the possible consequences? Yeah, yeah. And they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying... Now they didn't even go show up, Right? They sent a messenger saying, Let me, we're going to tell you what daddy said. Now they're playing on that, right? Because it was him that wanted to get daddy down there so he could take care of him and so on and so forth. This guy was honorable his whole life. In the face of all of this, he refused to give up a worldview that was so honoring to God that it caused the Lord to be with him and prosper him, and he served three pagans in a row to such a degree that God blessed them on account of him. And they, so they said, uh, sent this, this guy, and said, uh, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. They still didn't get it. They didn't get it. After all these years, after all this trouble. Brothers, you are going to meet people in your life that after years are not going to get it. That's not your issue. It's not mine. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Now I want you to consider the remarkable maturity of this man and what 
I want to challenge you in the face of people, pressures, and problems. Who will be the grown-up in the room? Faithful Christianity will always produce the grown-ups in the room. Always. And Joseph said unto them, I mean, this is just remarkable. Fear not, for am I in the place of God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, this is some wicked brothers. And they came here repenting, not because they were grieved over their sins. Why did they come repenting to him? They were afraid they were about to get whacked, weren't they? They were afraid of the consequences. Brother, you and I can have that kind of repentance too. It's not genuine. We're just afraid of the consequences. So, then there's this statement that everybody remembers, but man, just listen to the whole thing because we forget it. But as for you, you thought evil against me. Again, he's a realist. He understands what happened. He understood the secondary cause. But he subjected it to the primary cause. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. In Joseph's view, God's plan and purpose was far more important than any discomfort that had occurred to him. And he says this. I mean, this is just incredible. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Is that us? When we face difficult people, Serious problems and incredible pressures in life. Is our maturity in the confidence of God governing His world so complete, so full, that we can respond with this kind of maturity? Well, if we're going to be disciples of Christ... We're going to have to know how to take stands like Joseph did where in Potiphar's household he took a stand for righteousness, not on the basis of preserving his job or anything like that, but on the basis, how can I do this evil against God? Now I can tell you young men, I don't know what all you are going to be involved in but the challenges that you're going to face from an ethical position in a decapitalizing culture are going to be tremendous. And I can assure you that you're going to have those opportunities. You're going to get to discover what really governs your life. I'll share a quick story with you. And then I'll, I'll close. And I, I know we're, we're going to have some time for some 
questions, and I do have a couple of good questions that generally get asked. But I got invited to uh, come on to a board of directors by a group of people who were Christians. They were professing Christians, and I go to the first board meeting, and <clears throat> I didn't have the whole scenario laid out to me. They had went out and solicited some investment funds, and they got these investment funds from a non-Christian group, and the investment fund, which is appropriate, wanted a person sitting on the board. And this guy had a worldview that was hostile to the Christian faith. And they invited him in. And then that was the day I discovered why I got invited to the board. And my invitation to the board was approved on a vote of five to one. Guess who the dissenting party was? The hostile character. And I walked in and I listened, and this man wanted to do something that was highly unethical to the employees. I'm at my very first board meeting. Now, for me, uh, I mean, I'm in a little bit of a different position than you. I've gone through several of these battles. The Lord had ten tempered me quite some time ago. Now, I am afraid that I didn't exactly handle my first rounds of that like Joseph did uh, until uh, hindsight kicked in. It was pretty good. I had pretty good hindsight. And I said to those men, okay, we cannot do what this guy is asking. This guy is asking us to violate God's ethic as it relates to other human beings and how we treat them. And this is just flat out ethically wrong. And furthermore, he knows it. And he wants to do it because he's filled with covetousness. And he wants to take back a good name of how he browbeat back you to the investor group. Am I walking on soft ground here? Oh yeah. And I get it. I said, but what surprises me most is this. Every person there was over the age of 50. And you're over the age of 50 and your ethical maturity is still less than a child. Less than a child. Were they thinking like a child? Were their emotions tied up like a child? Did they understand what was going on? Oh, yeah. They understood. And this is defeated Christianity. Brethren, it will defeat your life the day that you are willing to accept secondary causes for the primary government of the world. You lose. I lose people around us lose. Now, I won't go into it, but <clears throat> you can look into the Scriptures, and time and time again, you will find where God disqualifies people on the basis of accepting secondary causes for primary view. Like, for instance, consider that in light of Gideon's army. Right? People who accepted secondary causes. And it governed how they responded to that situation, except for 300 of these guys. Okay. 
scriptures are full of it. So, I want to encourage you. Begin to think about looking behind the secondary causes. There's a way to view the secondary causes. But you never let them be primary. Because throughout your lifetime, we're going to deal with this tomorrow, preparing your life for change. It's one of the fundamental principles of the Christian life. God has designed it where Tim Yarborough is going to be in a constant position of change during his whole lifetime. If I am a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Because the day I stop growing and I stop maturing doesn't mean that I stop. It just means I change direction. Stagnation is not the way it works. Okay. Father, this young man, Joseph, at 17 years old, had already experienced all of this upheaval in his home and the intense hatred of his own brothers. And they envied him. And they sold him as a prisoner to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And he was falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit. He served time in prison. Lord, those 13 years that you trained him and yet you tell us that his worldview was so matured even at a young age that you were, blessed, you were with him, you blessed him, you prospered him, and you caused those who were around him to prosper because he never surrendered primary cause for secondary circumstances. Lord, my heart is smitten for myself and for my brothers of how we dishonor you when we fail to look first to primary cause. And be faithful to honor that. For Christ's sake.